Hello and welcome back to the Motorsport Bedhug Podcast. I'm your host Didi, and joining me today once again is my friend and your co-host Vedant. On this episode, we'll be reviewing the Belgium GP weekend. So let's grab some chai, take our seats, ready our opinions, and dive right into the conversation. Hello, Vedant. I think this was the most tiring race that I have ever seen in F1 <laughs> so far. I was tired at 1 p.m. in the afternoon when they finally called off the race and I was just I I took a nap after that. Absolutely it was a marathon which was eventually the smallest race in Formula 1 ever. So yeah absolutely. Absolutely. I think you know on Saturday after the call, after the qualifying I tweeted um from our uh, you know motorsport better handle that uh, couldn't have asked for a better return to racing you know after the summer break and <laughs> i think we'd be more upset that if i think we'd be more upset if if f1 moved spa away into like you know a different place in the calendar and not right after the return from summer break and then uh, we get an absolutely horrendous sunday uh, and we were home you know imagine the fans who were out there for over 4 hours in that rain uh, not fun for them but even though we didn't get a race uh it seems that we have a lot a lot to talk about so you know let's let's dive right into it now obviously i think the biggest story from saturday was the fact that um lando norris had p1 pace but he crashed out uh as he i guess tried to do a flying lap uh in q3 uh it was just lando and seb out in the wet and we heard both of them saying that the conditions were not good enough for uh you know for qualifying but um i think a lot of heat was um a lot of fans were you know angry and upset and a lot of drivers were upset with how the fia handled it so basically how michael massey handled it uh but then we also saw martin brundle come up and you know come on in the commentary and say that uh, it wasn't really just michael massey's fault uh you know the drivers could have also chosen to do otherwise so which he got a lot of heat from the fans especially on twitter uh which he you know referred to later on but in your opinion vedan uh what went wrong on saturday and is michael nasi and his team you know solely responsible for uh the events of saturday and when i say that i mean mando's crash yeah i think see formula 1 obviously we know that we have to prioritize safety driver safety first and after what we saw in w series you know at the those six cars crashing out at orujan radio complex i think it was absolutely unnecessary to let those cars out in for q3 obviously the situation was different and nobody knew like how worse it was uh, at the time of q3 starting but since it was raining so heavily i think they could have waited another you know 10 20 10 20 minutes but then again you know you can't say because the rain might might have gotten heavier heavier and heavier still and that would have rained out the entire saturday so it was the wrong decision but yeah i don't know what else could have been done i mean yeah there is definitely a question to ask there in my opinion you know sebastian vettel came on to the radio uh, time and again during his you know outlap and he said that uh, you know why isn't this being red flagged you should red flag it immediately and whatever and uh, he was pretty adamant about it during the first you know 3 and a half minutes of performance whatever he took on his outlap uh, so it does beg the question that what what was happening and you know why michael massey did he not get the message you know uh, 
did he not see how the drivers were giving feedback uh what all the other conditions because you know there are requirements um that need to be fulfilled in order to, in order for a session to go ahead right like there needs to be an x amount of visibility i think like one of the requirements is that uh the adjust the adjacent marshal's posts and the lights on the track should be visible uh and things like that so were those conditions okay and it was just the drivability that was not there on the track uh but yeah i guess it begs the question that w- what exactly happened in those moments uh that you know michael massey did not call off the session sooner uh, especially after the drivers were on the radio with the teams and what if if the teams you know contacted michael massey to red flag the session immediately or not and because we don't know the entire dynamics of what went 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 off behind the scenes so yeah. uh, maybe a comment or two about that from michael massey um uh, over the course of this week will be interesting to see uh but you know i i do agree with uh, i think martin brundle and um, i think paul dresta came to his rescue after that in the commentary box and he also pointed out the fact that you know um it it isn't just in michael massey's hand to you know red flag a red flag a session and that is when you know the drivers won't go obviously the, if you let the drivers on the track uh, their aim is to you know do the best they can but again the decisions don't only lie with the drivers and michael massey to whether go ahead with the session or not the drivers can think for themselves and there's a whole team with every driver that can think about the conditions and their driver safety and their cars you know the cars condition and what not so i guess um what i'm trying to say is the teams and the drivers also need to take more responsibility regarding their safety uh and obviously the feedback loops loop needs to be you know m- better and better than ever between you know the drivers teams and the FIA regarding all safety uh yeah, so yeah absolutely i i wouldn't i mean like in the last big controversial formula 1 race if we think about it you know usa 2005 the race did go ahead and all the teams with i think it was michelin tires pulled out uh, pulled out right and they came into the pits so it was the team's call at the end of the day to pull out of that race so yeah as you said the teams exactly. should take more responsibility yeah and then uh, and then we also had martin brundle and you know other commentators talk about how people used to go racing uh, back in the day you know back in the day in much worse conditions uh in cars that were less technically sound per se or like you know less safer but i think that is not the conversation obviously times have changed uh and i think as fans also we need to understand that if if these guys are going racing like what do we expect out of racing what are the safety standards we are looking for what are raceable conditions what are dangerous conditions and honestly sitting at home we are not the best judge of them and it just depends on what the drivers are saying and we should take their point of view as our reference um in these situations per se but um talking about safety i think the second most uh i think the largest you know uh the largest conversation piece that we have is uh, what needs to be done with the oruj radion complex now this is a story that has been developing since i think the 24 hours of spa uh, for the european endurance championship the Giron- the european gt championship yeah and it has only built up ever since then uh, coming into this weekend now obviously for those who don't know uh, there are changes coming to that particular complex amongst other changes all around the track because you know uh, bike racing motorcycle racing is returning to spa next year so they're having to meet fim standards which is the governing body for all uh, motorbike racing so there there are changes coming to that particular corner but obviously you know uh, what else do we need 
in that particular complex because, because it seems that that is the one thing that we're not able to solve for uh, at least ca- any any sort of car racing yeah absolutely i mean uh sorry the 24 hours of spa incident and then the w series incident and then lando norris's incident so norris incident and obviously we had the 2019 formula 2 accident right there was an article on the race.com which said the issue is not with the corner itself but it is with the walls and the runoff area and i think yeah. all the other drivers uh, have that same sentiment because louis de Letras and Callum Allot and everyone tweeted numerous times during all these events that the runoff areas and the walls there, there needs to be more space because every time we saw the cars just bounce off the walls, bounce off the tire barriers and come back on the racing line and come back on the track, which obviously means other cars will hit them. So obviously, see, Rouge Radion is one of the most iconic corners, complexes in motorsport, not just in Formula 1, in motorsport. So we can't just change it overnight and like that only, you know. So the obviously, the first step with other precautions as such as the runoff area and all that would be a great help. Yeah, I mean, that is what everyone has been saying. And I think Lewis Hamilton also in his uh, post-qualifying, uh, you know, his post-qualifying interview said that they should leave the corner alone and there's no need to change it. But uh, I guess he also, I don't remember, but he definitely would agree, you know, that uh, the runoff area and the way the corner complexes and, and the racetrack is around that area needs to be changed. Um, and like I mentioned before, you know, there are changes coming to that. And you mentioned out the exact, uh, you mentioned the exact problem with the corner, which is the fact that the cars hit the wall and bounce back onto the racetrack, which creates uh, a really dangerous situation. Now, we also have to understand that F1 or, you know, FIM or FIA are not paying for the changes made to the track. It is the track's owners, you know, the organizers at the track who are making those changes so that they can get racing at the track so that they can, you know, at the end of the day, it's a business. You know, F1 is not concerned with uh, or FIA is not concerned with the amenities at the track or the, how safe the track is. You build the track and the FIA will grade it. So, if, so I guess... Uh, and. I guess Michael Massey has said that according to the FIA, the track is still safe. So that is maybe something that FIA want to revisit. And maybe uh, it might not be a grade A track anymore uh, for F1 racing or any of the top tier racing. So maybe that's a conversation for Michael Massey and the rest of the FIA that grades this track. But we also need to understand that uh, since all these series are going there and, you know, this, this thing is happening not just in F1 but in different series... Uh, is it just the circuit promoter or like the circuit owner that needs to change? Because I think the commentators have told us, Martin Brundle pointed out uh, and Crofty pointed out that, you know, it will be a huge project to undertake if we were to expand the area around uh, the Oruj Radio Complex because it is already very narrow and there's a steep banking on one side uh, of the complex while on the other hand, it's it's sort of a similar situation, I think. But um, yeah, so obviously it's, it's a multi-million dollar project but who's gonna pay for it when uh, we already have these changes coming in for 2022 uh do we wait and see you know how these changes affect all racing including you know gt racing formula one wc whoever's going to race at spa or do we preempt any further safety issues uh by injecting money so you know does that money need to be raised by uh f1 and other you know racing series organizers and promoters does does that money need to be raised by fia and fim so those are some questions you know that need to be answered by uh 
not by the fans but by the people organizing these races i feel uh, and there is not much that we can do here but definitely the drivers and the teams can push for uh, higher safety standards uh, at all these races yeah absolutely i mean it would be a shame to see uh, spa leave the formula 1 calendar right if absolutely they they can't meet the safety standards and if the safety standards are revisited as such but i think there is enough space to reconstruct that corner and obviously the biggest problem is the the money and the finances so yeah as you said steps need to be taken and if motorsport as a community wants to visit visit spa year on every year and multiple different categories i think it should be a collective effort because once uh, motorsport stops visiting spa they they won't be able to generate generate revenue and then they won't be able to you know change the track so it would be a downhill spiral from spiral from that absolutely uh, now coming on to our next uh, topic of discussion uh, again once again fia so a lot of confusion over the weekend regarding the race a lot of you know different rules interpretations and what not and i think a lot of people have come out and said you know that these rules are written in legalese fashion or you know they are really vague they don't uh, they don't explicitly state what is to be done and what is not to be done and it, it is up to the interpretation uh and it was surprising to see that um even all the teams had different interpretations of the rules and you yeah. know uh they were all operating on different assumptions and things like that which was really chaotic as fans sitting back home uh but obviously disaster for uh FIA uh, there is a requirement for i won't say rewriting the rules but it, but you know some sort of issuing some sort of directives or you know clarifying rules or how you know uh especially in these situations if they were to because obviously you can't you know preempt or you know think about and address all situations that may occur uh you you just can't do that yeah. in the rules so um but i guess the least they could do is at least clarify how the rules um how, how the rules will be applied in the future if we were to have a similar situation as we did uh this past weekend so that is like the minimum that we as fans are looking for and i think one of the one of the things that was uh, two of the things i guess um, that were debated across the weekend was one uh, was uh, perez's re-entry into the gp after red bull said uh, they won't be you know they'll be withdrawing the entry and the second issue was the lap count and how many laps were counted was uh, especially with the first time when they went around twice you know, they did the formation lap and they did an extra lap uh, but there's confusion regarding whether or not um, uh, that one extra lap counted as a race lap or not uh so what what about your thoughts what was your interpretation of the rules vedant uh this weekend i mean see it's it's quite very confusing i'm if if there's a safety car restart in uh, if there's a safety car start in normal rainy conditions then you have you'll have a formation lap you'll have a safety car lap a few a couple of safety car laps and then you'll have the race so in that scenario the safety car laps after the formation laps do get counted into the race count right and even after the red flag when the cars go around to the grid that laps that that lap gets counted so i mean obviously it's strange it was very confusing as you said nobody knew what was going on and yeah it is it is high time to revisit the rules as such 
so what i think can be a solution it's not so sure, but uh, the half points regulation is only for 75% of the race right if if we complete 76% of the race we get full points we can have a similar rule for minimum race laps i guess so that they don't have two only a two two laps behind safety car so <laughs> i don't know yeah definitely i was i was going to come to that later but since you brought it up uh, i i do agree with you that you know a minimum two laps behind a safety car is kind of weird to award any points especially since this race was like the shortest race in f1 and it was shorter than sprint race where we just award you know uh, a maximum of 3, three points, points for the yeah. winner so it's uh, definitely absurd for max verstappen uh, to walk away with 12 and a half points at the end of the weekend um, but um, at the same time you know uh, what was i going to say yeah i was going to backtrack so whatever happened like the way the the way the fia handled the situation at least regarding the laps that were counted uh, once the weekend was over i was able to you know go back and look at it and uh, clarify it for myself and it does make sense because uh, when when they went out behind the safety car the first time uh, it said the race start was aborted right the race procedure was suspended which meant uh, they they did do the formation lap but the race never started because uh, after the formation lap if even if you're behind the safety car and the race starts you usually have green lights um, at the start finish straight yeah uh, but you didn't have green lights um, you had flashing reds which means the race start was aborted so obviously that lap didn't count and they went when they went out again uh, the lap counted straight away you know once they crossed the start finish line and went out that was lap 1 and they went out a second time and in total they completed completed three laps so um that was understandable so that was some clarification i guess and if the fans go back and look at what exactly happened there are multiple people who have written down the explanations i think the race did a uh, did an article i think the race fans did an article and so on and so forth so that was understandable uh, regarding paris that was a little uh, weird because obviously the race start was aborted uh, but you did do the formation lap so perez was allowed in the pits but i think there was confusion regarding the fact that you know uh red bull withdrew their um withdrew their entry and how were they allowed to you know uh re-enter the competition with perez's car so that's that's a little bit if, iffy for me and especially the fact that uh if the race start even though you know the race race start was aborted the cars did go around a second time and then they were in the pit lane so the, does sergio perez, because he didn't do the start procedure because start procedure was suspended but since he didn't do the formation lap he would start in the pit lane which was done but again the lap count thing was kind of confusing because i think martin brundle and uh, paul dress were talking about the fact and david crofty were talking about the fact that he should have been like one lap down at first and then like five laps down and what not so that was that yeah. was also really confusing obviously at the end of the weekend it didn't matter but again that is something that is that the fia should clarify not just for the teams but also for the fans yeah i mean definitely see i i hope fia and the f1 management take a lot of lessons from spa because i have never seen this level of confusion confusion at a formula 1 race right there have been confusion regarding red flags restarts and all these stuff but the amount of confusion and amount of gray area that we encountered in spa was ridiculous We don't. As far as the points are concerned, you know, uh, it, if you're just going behind the safety car, that that should not count as a race, in my opinion. 
Uh, yeah, I think absolutely. It was high time that FIA went back and uh, you know uh, figured out what what would count as a race if you have absolutely no racing laps at all. Because we didn't even have like one one green flag lap, so you we never went racing. So I think uh, obviously, like you said, you know the requirement needs to be changed to like twenty five percent or something to get half points. Uh, but uh, I think there should be a clause in there that states that there have to be green flag laps within that twenty five percent or thirty percent or whatever that is. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, these are. I think these rules are way older, and the the level of safety requirements in this era is unprecedented. So I think, obviously, the half, like the minimum, the fifty percent points rule and all these rules are because of safety. In in cases that the full race cannot be completed, right, in uh, due to rain or everything such that. So I think yeah, and all yeah, things need to be taken care of, and I mean changes need to be made. That's all. Yeah. Yeah, but all the drivers did come out uh, and share the same sentiment that there was absolutely no point uh, in giving out points uh, yeah. this weekend uh, when there was absolutely no race. And uh, but although you know the only positive that we all took the I think there were two positives to take away from this weekend from a fans' perspective. George Russell got his first podium in a Williams, uh, yeah. <laughs> the first podium after Lance Stroll in 2017 Baku, I think. So, you know, that is something to celebrate, uh, regardless of how it came. Uh, definitely great, uh, great qualifying performance from George Russell. That will come to uh, in a bit. Uh, and the fact that the championship is closer once again, you know, only three points separate Max Verstappen and Lewis Hamilton after this weekend. So, you know. Uh, not all bad, not all bad from a fan's perspective uh, when you look at the bigger picture. Uh, coming to the next question, Vedant, we have, uh, should the fans at Spa be refunded for a miserable Sunday? Um, now, obviously, Lewis Hamilton came out and said, you know, the two laps were just for commercial reasons and everybody got their money, the promoters got their money, the sponsors got their money and the fans should be refunded so that they can have their money too. Uh, what are your thoughts? I mean, yes, they should be refunded. I'm not sure if they got refunded in you know us 2005 or not but i think at least yeah they should be refunded because they did not see any racing and there are arguments that you know your ticket does include the formula 3 race as well but i saw on twitter and on reddit and everywhere that due to issues regarding parking and the traffic jams around the circuit due due to the weather people could not even watch the Formula 3 race as well. So, yes, yes, they should be re- refunded. And, I mean, yeah, I don't know if it was solely for commercial reasons or not. And obviously, uh, Stefano Domenicali has come out and defended the decision that it was not for commercial reasons. But... Yeah, but whatever has come from the F1 side, you know, from Stefano's side, uh, like Stefano also came out and said that uh, they will consider the fans and do whatever is best for them too. Uh, But there's just not been enough of, I guess, a concrete argument or a concrete statement from him that shows that F1 will be addressing this issue in the immediate future. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, see, this is unprecedented. This entire weekend was unprecedented, but at least the Sunday was. And... I don't know. There's, they can't look back at you know past events and all these stuff. So, 
I don't know. They should now, be- obviously, you know, it doesn't have to be absolutely refunded. There could be other solutions, such as you know, offering uh, massive discounts to next year tickets or something like that. You know, yeah, Just giving the money back is not the only solution. But uh, it'll be nice to see if they do something. Obviously, there is an argument for uh, not refunding all tickets because you know some people might have bought like the three-day package or whatever, and they did get Friday, Saturday, uh, and if they came on Sunday, you know, they might have caught the uh, Formula Three race, uh, maybe not. But there's, uh, I don't think there is an argument for not refunding. Obviously, you know, you don't know what's gonna happen. You know, everybody is trying to make the do the best they can, and uh, you know, even the. F- it's not like the F1 promoters knew that the race wouldn't happen and then, you know, they still charge people for tickets. But in good faith, obviously, there is not an argument uh, for people who just bought tickets for Sunday to not be refunded. Uh, while there m- might be somewhat an argument for people who bought a package or whatever, you know, uh, to be content with whatever little racing they got over the over the three days. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it can be considered. And obviously, re- refunding the entire ticket sales would be a ridiculous loss to the circuit itself because I don't think Formula 1 is going to refund them. The circuit will have to refund them because the circuit earns from the those yep. tickets, right? So, yeah. And obviously, uh, the circuit of Spa is going to, through a tough, tough time. They had I mean, the, the floods in a few months back and obviously, the I think the CEO or someone got mur- murdered and and now this so it's been a t- and obviously the 24 hour of spa crash as well but yeah i mean it's been yeah it's definitely been a trying trying time for the spa uh Frankfurt owners and and whoever runs the place uh but it's uh, but it's been like an economically stressful time for literally everyone involved in motorsport uh so you can't blame people if if it's hard you know refund money back uh, but obviously, you know, we feel for the fans, uh, even though we weren't there. Uh, if we had been there, it would have, we would have been really, really miserable too. And we would have been upset and we would have wanted our money back. Um, nothing to take away from that. Uh, now, let's let's come back to some more, uh, you know, uh, F1, I guess, driver and team team talk. Uh, the question that I have for you, Vedan, is why are Mercedes waiting to announce next year's driver lineup? Total Wolf has come up and said multiple times now that uh, they have already agreed on it, especially after George's P2 performance in qualifying. He said, okay, you know, we know George is great and this this performance just tells us that, uh, you know, he's on the right track and he's doing what we expect from him and that will not change our decision to sign George or not since we have already made that decision. So what do you think is the reason that Mercedes are waiting to announce uh, next year's drive lineup? Well, here's a conspiracy. I think it's uh, Valtteri Bottas and they are just waiting for a good weekend to announce him. I mean, when his performance is good. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't know if I agree with that. Uh, I was, I was, I was thinking it was more something like um, they're just waiting to like you know for Valtteri to make some concrete future plans, uh, yeah. so that you know when the announcement is made, Valtteri is you know Valtteri can talk about his future plans. So they're they're giving Valtteri time uh, to get his uh, future together. But I guess. Uh, both of us agree on the fact that George Russell will be moving to Mercedes in 2022, uh, taking from our responses to this particular question. Uh, and it will really, <coughs> it'll be really surprising if he doesn't. Uh, obviously, F1 also did release a new calendar. There's some minor changes. We do have this triple header like it like it was supposed to be. So we'll be going to Zandvoort next weekend and uh, we'll be going to Monza the weekend after. Uh, I think the Russian Grand Prix and the Turkish Grand Prix have been moved 
have been pre-pwned by a week. So we'll be going to the Russian Grappi in Sochi this year on September 24th. And we'll be in Turkey on October 8th. And then the United States Grappi is still uh, scheduled for the same weekend, which is October 22nd. And then we have a week's break and then we go to Mexico. Uh, then we have, and then we go to Sao Paulo right after that. And then we, that, that's basically a triple header from Mexico, Sao Paulo. And then it is still to be announced what was going to be there. But it's looking like it'll be Qatar uh, on November 19th. And then we have, I think, another week's break. And then we go to Saudi Arabia. And then uh, we go to UAE. Uh, the dates are wrong on the website. But yeah, uh, I think th- then we go to UAE for the season finale. So, you know, not a lot of changes, but we only have 22 races this season, not 23. I think at the beginning of uh, beginning of the season when we did our preseason um, review or whatever, uh, we, we did say that it'll be difficult for F1 to, con- to, you know, conduct all 23 races. And I think the number we agreed on was like 20. 20 races would be possible by the end of the year, 21, something like that. Yeah. Uh, so I guess we are definitely moving towards that direction. But... Uh, a lot, you know, if if we go to if you end up going to Qatar, uh, there'll be a, quite a few you know new tracks for F1 uh, this year. You know, uh, Zandvoort, uh, we're going to Jeddah, Qatar. We were supposed to go to Vietnam last year, didn't happen. Uh, and then, yeah, so we'll be going to Gora Drive next year. Australia and has some changes. Yeah, Abu Dhabi has some changes. We had so, you know a lot to look forward to. We had Portimao as well last year. New... Exactly, and then we went to Portimao again this year. So uh, we've been visiting a lot of new places with F1. Uh, but yeah, now let's come back to the highlight of the weekend, George Russell's uh, P2. How do you even, you know, how do you compare that performance with that? It, wet conditions, so they were not dry conditions. Uh, and he didn't just beat, he didn't just beat the Mercs. He beat everyone else that Williams is not on pace with. He beat... He's been beating Ferrari. He beat uh, Alfa Tauri. He beat Pierre Gasly in the Alfa Tauri. He beat Sebastian Vettel in the um, Aston Martin. He beat Sergio Perez in the Red Bull. And he beat Lewis Hamilton in the Mercedes. How do you even analyze this performance in the wet? Now, obviously, he is a great driver in the wet. We know that uh, from his junior career. But, like, it's it's just so hard, you know. If, if I had to grade this performance, it'd be just so hard for me to, you know, even comprehend uh, how good this performance is compared to any other weekend. Yeah, I mean, comparing it to any other driver or any other weekend of George himself would be a waste of time because we can't do that. We absolutely can't. And I think, I mean, it was... We know that the Williams is not capable capable of this pace. Obviously, George has been putting Williams in See, you, you make that argument that Williams is not capable of that pace. But uh, so far, you know, we've seen George make it into Q3. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I was... P8. Let, 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 me, let, let, me, let me finish yeah. this argument <laughs> because I knew, I knew you were going to say that. So, which is why, you know, I really thought about this before we sat down to talk. Uh, so, George has been, you know, qualifying P7, P8, P9 on a, on a dry weekend when Nicholas Latifi has been qualifying... Uh, let's say P17, P18, you know, ahead of the ahead of the two uh, Haases and maybe ahead of one of the Alfa Romeos. But this weekend, not only did George qualify P2, Nicholas Latifi split the two Ferraris and qualified P12. Yeah. So the Williams w- had greater pace in the wet. We, we didn't really see the Williams in the dry. Uh, per se, it was like mixed conditions the entire weekend. So Williams did have greater pace in the weekend. So have Williams brought upgrades to this, you know, uh, after the summer break, 
have they done something and do they have greater pace than they, than we anticipate and if george russell i guess this is the question for later uh, but if george russell does have the space even in the dry let's say not p2 but let's say more like an alpha tori pace or like an aston martin pace uh can he pull off genuine points at zandvoort which is supposed to be a non overtaking race yeah it's an interesting you know thought see williams at the start of the season they said that they said that their car was you know specific to few races they didn't specify what races and basically the characteristics of the car were exceptional for few few you know few few circuits and few situations and too bad for others so maybe spa was one of them regarding both the drivers performances I mean, but at the end of the day do well at the end of the day when the conditions are like this it's more about the car uh, more about the driver than the car i believe and i think george russell's russell just showed showed that and regarding nicolas latifi i think that was a happy surprise uh yeah definitely you know i i totally agree that george russell has been outperforming that car uh and i guess you know the point that you make that uh the williams car is suited to some tracks and it's not suited to, to some other tracks uh which i kind of makes sense that it, that it would be more suited to a track like uh, spa because we saw that the williams did well uh in austria which is i wouldn't say like a high speed circuit but it has you know flowing corners medium speed corners and a lot of straights and they did kind of well there and uh, i think silverstone they had a decent performance too not that great in qualifying No, but uh, George you know, George Russell got into Q3 at Silverstone, right? Exactly. So, uh yeah, yes, I was confusing it with Hungary, sorry. Uh but yeah, they they, they did well enough even in Silverstone uh to, you know, be there, just be there uh to grab maybe one point or two points, which they were denied in the end. Uh so I guess, I guess that makes sense. Uh the next race is Zandvoort. We don't know how the cars will react there. Uh so definitely, you know, something to look forward to. But again, something to celebrate. George Russell walks home with with a trophy you know he can put a check check mark in his box you know points for williams podium for williams and uh, that's a lot of reason to celebrate now the other driver that i want to talk about was lando norris he had p1 pace out and out if you're going to tell me that max would have been p1 even if uh, even if lando had not crashed out i'm not going to agree with you at Absolutely. all uh, lando was definitely you know the class of the field in q1 and in q2 My question is can we expect a land on Norris pole and maybe even a win at Monza we know that McLaren loves a straight line uh, it's really quick in you know medium speed corners can we expect land on Norris to outdrive that McLaren and finish ahead of at least both the Mercedes that's interesting and now that i think about it i want that to happen <laughs> but i mean I think Monza while similar to Spa the the middle section the middle sector at Spa is a lot more flowing than we have anything at Monza right so I think that might bring out you know weaknesses in some cars and differences in some cars but obviously the McLaren is faster than the Mercedes in a straight line which we so not just at spa but at other circuits uh, for the like uh, this season right so yeah it's it's going to be interesting it's going to be very interesting and land with the with the 
form Landon Norris is showing, it won't be a surprise if he gets a pole. Absolutely, and a happy weekend for his uh, teammate Daniel Ricciardo qualified P4. Definitely off the pace from Landon Norris, you know, still about a second behind in the wet uh, compared to what Lando was uh, doing. But overall, I think uh, he'll be happy to have a strong qualifying, let's say, you know, uh, after the summer break and will give him some confidence going to Zandvoort, uh, you know, to do better. Um, Sergio Perez and Alonso friend Alonso signed their contract extensions this weekend. Uh, it looked pretty obvious. I didn't even know that Alonso didn't have a contract <laughs> for next year. I had assumed that Alonso did have a contract until the end of 2022. Yeah, yeah. So it was kind. Of, it took me by surprise when that news came. I was like, "What are they talking about?" I thought you know he had a two-year contract, but apparently not. Uh, and I think I I texted you uh, before the weekend that hey Perez and Alonso have signed their contracts this weekend they're not gonna have a good race and Perez ended up winning his car before the race started and Alonso did not have a race and did not score any points uh, unlike the other top ten drivers had a terrible qualifying uh, qualified behind his teammate yeah. so you know uh, <laughs> the trend continues if you sign your contract you don't do well and I think the best finish we have had from someone who extended his contract was Lewis Hamilton. I think he finished P4 after a terrible race for a Mercedes, you know. Uh, I think in Austria it was, he finished behind Lando Norris and Valtteri Bottas uh, and Max Verstappen won that race. So, yeah, the, tre- the trend continues, that's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what else do we have from this weekend? Uh, we already talked about how the lead is down to three points, how, you know, uh, Williams came away with more constructor points this weekend than Mercedes did. Uh, great news for Williams. <laughs> Um, but obviously, yeah, one stat you did put in there was that Red Bull have now 12 wins in 50 races with Honda. It was Honda's 50th race. It was, I think, Landon Norris's 50th race. Yeah, and George Russell's 50th. 50th race. Yeah. Absolutely. So a lot of 50s this weekend. Uh, and uh, Red Bull had 12 wins in 100 hybrid races with Renault, which is twice the number of races and the same number of wins. So definitely, this this has definitely been a successful partnership for Red Bull. Uh, out and out. Um, I think that's all from my side, Vedant. I don't think there's anything else that I want to discuss. Any any thoughts? Any last thoughts from you? Uh, I think the one thing that you know, a positive as such from this weekend is that neither Bottas nor Perez scored any points after Lando Norris's crash. So basically, the the fight for P3 remains the same after Silverstone because even in Hungary they didn't score any points. So Lando Norris now has even less races to defend his P3 in the championship so that I mean and with Monza coming up as we discussed it's going to be super exciting and obviously we know Bottas and Perez are not performing up to the level that their cars warrant. Right. That is one thing and another thing luckily for Bottas and uh, Stroll and Lando, the grid penalties are served. Uh, that Bottas and Stroll earned in Hungary and Lando Norris earned this weekend because of the gear, gearbox change. So yeah, that's. I think that's all from my side as well. Yeah, before I forget, uh, I absolutely love Fernando Alonso's driver's view cam. We only see that in Formula E, but seeing that in F1 at Spa, Going up to Rouge, it was incredible. I mean, yeah. 
that was definitely best taking when I saw it too, and they kept replaying it over the course of the weekend, uh, yeah. and that was just phenomenal. And not just that, a lot of meme-worthy moments coming out of this weekend. Uh, you know, pictures of Lando Norris sleeping, Carlos Sainz sleeping, and uh, and uh, and just like a lot of you know lovely moments. The Alpine garage doing, I think, the Macarena or something, yeah. and uh, people playing cards, waiting for the race to resume. So yeah, and uh, a lot of you know great Seb, uh, moments that were captured. Seven Mick played football. Uh, like keep yeah. keep ups or something, and then we have a clip of Seb and Michael playing the same thing. Yeah, so that was yeah. that was quite beautiful. <laughs> and obviously, this was the thirtieth. Uh, this weekend was thirty years from when uh, Michael Schumacher made his debut at Spa uh, in that Jordan car. Uh, yeah, I believe. Uh, so yeah, that was great. And I think Sky Sports also did a feature with uh, I think Karun Chandok and uh, Mick Schumacher. They played that feature during the race when we were all waiting. When uh, Mick Schumacher, Schumacher took the wheels of the Jordan car, that his uh, dad first drove 30 years ago. Uh, so yeah, like I said, a lot of moments, you know, a lot of uh, heartful moments coming out of this weekend. And especially with Seb checking up on Lando after his crash was also uh, something that will be remembered in the future. Uh, Seb is just, you know, I think the, I, Seb has just been the best role model uh, for literally everyone, not just in the paddock, but all the fans out there too, I feel. And uh, I don't know, he he deserves some sort of award. I don't know what, like a humanity award or yeah. something. I feel. I, I was going but to say some, that you know something. Yeah, I mean. Yeah. We have we'll have some sort of driver of the year at the end of this end of the season. You know, every website will have its their own driver of the year. But I think the man of the year or the human of the year, as such, will be Seb Vettel. Absolutely, uh, it's just lovely to see him. Uh, not just you know, uh, not just like get along with everyone and do all the right things, but also enjoy himself in that Aston Martin car just as much. Obviously, people did uh, after the Saturday incident. People did call for Seb uh, to become you know to take up Michael Massey's job uh, after he hung up his helmet. Yeah. So we'll see if Seb takes his fans up on that offer. But yeah, that's from our, all from our side. It's been a long podcast. I feel. Uh, but it was great having you with on today and lovely talking to you once again. And I'll catch you again next week after the race in Zandvoort. So, see you soon.